So here we are on the first Sunday after Easter. You know, we had a wonderful Easter celebration last week, packed house, you know, and uh, a lot of people put forth the effort to come and be here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, on Easter. So what, what is our benefit? What do we have? If I put it into one word, from now on, in light of the resurrection, what do we have? What do we gain? And that, that word would be hope. You know, we have the hope of the resurrection. Now, hope is a word uh, that we can throw around in a lot of different ways. But it really has a great biblical interpretation that talks about something that's steadfast and sure. Uh, last Sunday night, I hope you watched uh, the first episode of the AD uh, uh, series that will be on on NBC. And uh, maybe you caught part of all of the Dateline uh, uh, interview that preceded it. Uh, but Natalie Morales of NBC interviewed Mark Burnett and uh, Roman Downey, uh, the producers of the AD series. And I just want to show you the, uh, maybe a, a two-minute clip towards the end of that interview. In case you didn't see it, but then there's a good reminder of what they discussed. And uh, I want you to listen to his answer to a, a very specific question. For the couple's personal religious beliefs, Downey is a devout Roman Catholic, and Burnett describes himself simply as Christian. They say their denomination isn't important. It's their shared love of God. And on this Easter Sunday, they're reflecting on their faith. Do you both believe what happens in the afterlife? Do you believe in going to a heaven? Absolutely, yes. I mean, I'm so comforted and I'm given such hope um, by believing in heaven. And I believe with all my heart that I will be reunited in some form with my beloved mother and my dad. Mark, were you always such a strong person of faith as well? Or did Roma help deepen that faith somehow? Yes, Roma helped deepen it, um, working for the last five years every day um, has helped deepen it. We pick up the Bible throughout the day to read the Word, to be close to the Word, and of course we go to church on Sundays, but... Also, reading the Bible every day is part of our job. (laughs) (laughs) They also see charity as part of their job. Recently, the couple donated more than a million dollars to the Cradle Fund, which is helping Iraqi and Syrian refugees terrorized and displaced by ISIS. This Easter, the humanitarian crisis in the region is a huge concern. You both are so involved with your foundation. How do you explain how a merciful God also allows such suffering in the world? Well, you know, I think this found many times in the Bible, but uh, Romans 5.3, which is so true, which Paul wrote, which is, you know, suffering creates perseverance. That perseverance creates character, and character creates hope. And as long as we have hope, we have everything. Hmm. Uh, I didn't think it would take too long for um, perhaps what I look at as a critic maybe of, uh, of the series to ask one of these theologically deep questions about how, do you, uh, how can you explain a, a merciful God or letting these tragedies happen. But most importantly, I was impressed by that he just immediately, Mark, Mark immediately had an answer. And it was biblically based. And it's a great one. And so he talked about hope. And, and, and don't you love that accent he has? I love that. And he, and he talked about hope. And, and that hope is different than the way we use hope. We, we say things like, and I, I caught myself this week working on this message, 
so many times thinking about, well, I hope I get there on time. I hope the traffic, I hope the train isn't coming when I go to leave. You know, I hope I find my keys in the car where they're supposed to be. And, you know, on and on and on. And we use hope like if you're, if you're keeping up with the Masters today, you might say, well, I hope Jordan Spieth goes on to, uh, to win the Masters. I would say, I hope Phil can rally as an old man and win the Masters. You know, you, we, you know I hope it doesn't rain. I hope it does rain and washes out all this pollen. You know, we use that as kind of a wishful thinking. I'm reminded of a second grade Sunday school class teacher who asked the question, what is the definition of hope? A little boy said, hope is wishing for something you know ain't going to happen. I think a lot of us live that way with the hope that we have and talk about hope. Now, it's good to have hope as long as it's the right kind of hope and it's the basis for our reality. An attorney by the name of Gregory Bauer Uh, in a book entitled The Odds and How to Improve Them, talks about some of the odds that people have uh, of achieving the the dreams that they hope for. Maybe this can speak to you in some way. All right, some of you young guys, you might think, I like to date a supermodel. So what are the odds of your getting a date with a supermodel? Well, assuming there are 25 of them, and each of them will date five men per year, And there are 110,000 adult males who will spend 10 years seeking to date a supermodel. The chances of it happening in that 10-year period are 88,000 to 1. Not very good. What did a little boy in the second grade say? Hope is wishing for something you know ain't going to happen. Okay? All right. On the other hand, for the young ladies, you know, say, I want to marry a millionaire. What are the odds of your marrying a millionaire? Well, the good news is... There are more of them than ever before, 5.6 million of them in America. The bad news is 92% of them are already married. That leaves 448,000 uh, single millionaires. Now, there are about 97 million singles, uh, according to the latest census, which makes the odd of marrying a millionaire 215 to 1. A little bit better odds than the guys dating a supermodel, but still not all that good, right? Now... What are the odds of becoming a professional athlete? You know, we got ball season is in full swing, softball, baseball, probably soccer, I don't know whatever else, volleyball and all that, and a lot of them, a lot of our people involved in traveling teams, which are going on the weekend, playing on Sundays and all of that kind of stuff. You got great dreams and aspirations for your kids, or or you as an athlete have great dreams and aspirations wanting to play pro one day. So what are your odds of becoming a professional athlete? According to statistics today, 22,000 to 1. You know, I think it's great that um, the NCAA advertises that uh, most of these student athletes say we're going pro in a different field when we graduate. Because very few make it to be a professional uh, athlete. So that's something else I think you need to take in consideration with where you invest your children's time. Now, what about the odds of starting a successful small business? I, I don't want to shatter your dreams about that, but just give you the stark reality. And that is, according to the Small Business Administration, one-third of new businesses fail in the first two years, half fail within four years, and 60% fail within six years. Now, that's just a stark facts. Human hopes can be dashed. And that is if we have just those kinds of dreams built upon our kind of hope. But our hope that we have as believers because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is totally different. In fact, Peter, the apostle Peter, 
In our scripture for today, in 1 Peter 1, chapter, verse, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, calls our hope a living hope. Now, either follow along on the screen or open your Bible with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. This is what Peter writes. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. There it is, a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have to to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of of your souls. Now, what kind of faith does Peter say we have as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? He says we have a living hope. A living hope. Now, when Paul begins writing this section, notice how, how he begins. He begins with, with praise to God for what he has experienced, for what he has seen God do, and who God is. And that's amazing for for Peter to write that, to talk about a living hope. And I think if you you did watch that first series last Sunday night, the first of the series on AD, that you captured, they captured so powerfully. Peter's braggadocious that, you know, I would never leave you, Lord. I would never desert you. I would never forsake you. And yet, uh, when they are accusing Jesus... A young woman asked Peter the question. They have to give him his due. At least he was there inside the courtyard. And aren't you one of his as well? And Peter absolutely denied it to the third time of where he even took vows and oaths and cursing that he did not know Christ. What a disgrace. And no wonder that one of the Gospels shows us the last picture there from that episode of Peter going out into the night in darkness, weeping bitterly because he had denied Christ. You know, maybe some of you feel like Peter. Your hopes, your dreams have been crushed. See, maybe your dreams of where you wanted to be in life by this time have fallen far short of what you expected. And your dreams have just simply collapsed. Maybe you had a set of morals and ideals by which you wanted to live and you realized that by now you failed miserably. Maybe it's that failed marriage in your life, or maybe a failure in your career, maybe a broken relationship with a child, or maybe you're in a job that's just beating you up and you have no way to get out of it. You see, we all have those kinds of moments and times that we deal with in some way. But it's those kinds of moments that the resurrection of Christ is designed to give us our living Peter experienced that. I think in one of the most powerful and moving scenes in all of the New Testament, 
is when Jesus appears to the disciples uh, at Galilee and he prepares a meal for them on the shore. And when Peter comes and sits around the fire with Jesus, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And three times Peter affirmed his love for Jesus. And three times Jesus gave him that living hope because he gave him a ministry. And he said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And from that point on, Peter knew that he had a living hope in his life. And the question I would ask you today is, can you affirm that same thing today? That you know this living hope and you claim this living hope and you live by this living hope? We've all denied Christ. We've all rejected Him. We've all failed Him. We've all had failures and disappointments in our life because we've based them upon our human concept of hope and faith and wishing and dreaming rather than a living hope. So we all have to claim this living hope then if we want to deal with the realities of life with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You see, Jesus is alive and there's nothing that He cannot overcome. Because Jesus has power over death, he has power over anything, anything and everything that could threaten your life. As followers of Jesus, we have a living hope. We're talking about a hope that never dies. And we're told that because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is validated. That gives us that hope that we need. I, I, I think there are just so many powerful scenes, even in that first, series, first episode on the series of A.D., that really got me to thinking about behind the Scripture, what, what, what really was going on. I mean, it was so powerful, the dialogue and the, and the dealings with things that they had to deal with to come to say, okay, are we going to wait for the third day and see what happens or, or what? See, they were without hope. When they discovered not just the empty tomb, but that Jesus was alive, Boy, the transformation in them that I'm hoping we're going to see in the next several weeks. I think tonight we focus a lot on on Thomas as we look at that at 9 o'clock. Someone has observed the importance of hope. So we can survive for 40 days without food, 8 days without water, 4 minutes without air, but not one second without hope. And that hope is the living hope we have in Christ. So I want to make four observations today as we think about this living hope that's ours. First of all, Our hope, this living hope, is based on the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is alive. I think sometimes we we don't put the emphasis on that between Easter Sundays, you know. You got Christmas in there, we're getting born, and then, you know, that's about all. They call people who come on Christmas and Easter CEOs, Christmas and Easter only, right? Sometimes a lot of believers were pretty faithful in attendance. We really don't claim that fact that Jesus is alive. Yeah, that was, that was a fact that happened back then, but what's it mean today? It's an historical fact. And Peter says it gives us that living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Have any of you heard of a, an attorney named Sir, Sir Lionel Luckhoe? I think that's the way his name is pronounced. I'd never heard of him before. But he's an amazing attorney. He's in the the Guinness Book of World Records because on January 1, 1985, he got his 245th consecutive murder acquittal for all of his clients. 200, I mean, can you imagine that? Going to court to defend somebody on the charge of murder and getting them off 245 times. Now, he's got to be a bright man. 
I think any lawyer is. You've got to have an analytical mind that's able to take the facts and deal with the facts and not distort them, but, but um, create what you need to create to get, your, get that shadow of doubt in the jury's mind to get your, to get your client off. Well, he also had a struggle uh, in his spiritual journey. And during his spiritual journey, he took his same analytical skills, the expertise he used in the law field, and he used it to examine the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what he concluded. I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof that leaves absolutely no room for doubt. That's a wonderful discovery in it. If you haven't heard of him, maybe you've heard of another famous attorney, Lee Strobel, who, who had struggled for a while as an atheist, and he discovered through the study of the facts about the resurrection of Christ that Jesus was alive, and now he, he's a Christian writer, uh, The Case for Christ, and other books like that on staff at a church, and a phenomenal Christian speaker. Now, what was the difference in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and people that we've read about a late, lot lately about having these near-death experiences or what they said was death experiences then they go to heaven and some things that they come back and talk about jive with the scriptures and some don't. Well, let me give you two observations. First, Jesus was really dead. It was a powerful scene again in, in A.D. Uh, Sunday night when the Roman soldiers go to make sure that if, the, if those men on the cross aren't dead, to make sure by breaking their leg and thrusting a spear in them, that they will die. When they got to Jesus, he was dead. The Roman soldier saw, he, he thrust that spear in his side, and out came the flow of blood and water, indicating that the circulation of the blood had ended, and Jesus was indeed dead. Then he was taken off the cross, he was bound in material, and he was laid in a tomb. He was dead, folks. He literally, literally died for us. Then secondly, the people who supposedly have visited heaven and returned to to the same life that they live are going to have to die again someday. You know, even Lazarus that Jesus raised, uh, the son of the widow of Nain that Jesus brought back, they were raised. There's a difference between being raised and resurrected. Jesus was resurrected, which means he's still alive. He lives forever. And when he came back, he had a glorified body. He came back having conquered death. And that is the guarantee of this living hope that we have. It's because we have a living Savior. Now here's the second observation I make. Our hope is fixed on an inheritance that is kept in heaven. Uh, The most complete portrait I think of heaven that we have. Because we've got bits of it here, there, and yonder. And I think that's one reason that people get the theology of heaven and the sequence of some of those events in heaven mixed up. But we, we, we find the most a comprehensive view of heaven in Revelation chapters 21 through 22. And it's just like uh, John who writes the Revelation just draws back the curtains of eternity and we're able to see some of the glory and splendor about heaven. And it affirms for us that heaven is a real place. And and he writes and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So heaven is a real place. Secondly, I want you to notice, heaven is also a holy place. When John gives that description, he's talking about the presence of God. He says, I did not see a temple in the city. And that's always an indication of God's presence with the temple. 
But he says the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And he also goes on to say we shall see the face of God and we will live. Because heaven is a holy place. Heaven is also a safe place. Uh, Each of us, again, we live with a certain amount of fear in our life. That anything can happen to us. You know, a a world that threatens us at, at any moment. You know, airplanes falling out of the sky, airplanes that disappear, disease that kill, shootings in schools that make no sense, or in malls and all of those places. And John talks about heaven being a secure place. And he says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Why is that true? It's because there will be no more sin. And because no more sin, there will be no more crying. There will be no more litter or smog or oil spills. There won't be any more sickness or disease, no more death. There won't be any more betrayal or backbiting or bickering or quarreling. Because of heaven is a safe place. Sin doesn't exist there. And all the things that we deal with today as a result of sin, we won't have to deal with in heaven. And then heaven is also described as a big place. Uh, It's described as being 12 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. That's about 1,400 square miles. It's the distance from Mexico to Canada or from the Appalachian Mountains to California. And the, the basic thing to understand about heaven is this is that it's large enough for everybody who believes in Jesus Christ. If you haven't made that decision, get your reservation today because there's room for you. God has made a place for you. There's room for you. There won't be any immigration problem. There won't be any border patrol. All the peoples of the world will be welcome if they believe in Jesus Christ. Then also heaven is a place of service. And I think that was important for us to understand about heaven because some people think Heaven is just going to be a place where we go and we just live on bread and honey and we just have a wonderful time. And some people think, that's a boring existence. I don't want to do that. I don't like to sing. I don't want to be in the heavenly choir. You know, I'm an active person. i got to have things to do. Well, you're going to have things to do in heaven. It is a place where we will serve. And the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of specifics about it. But there are two things that are of significance for us that happen in heaven for believers while the tribulation is taking place on earth. The church, that's us believers, are raptured out if we're alive when Christ comes. And the dead in Christ are raised first and we get different bodies and we go to heaven. The first thing that takes place, I believe, is that we go before the beamer seat or the judgment seat of Christ and we are judged. Not for salvation, but we are judged for our rewards based on what we did with our gifts, our talents, our abilities, the opportunities, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And based on that, we're going to be rewarded with places of service. And we are going to serve. It's going to be amazing to see what we do. You know, I, you know, with no more sin and no more death and all those kinds of things, there are going to be some occupations that people are going to have to have a new job, aren't they? That's going to be interesting. No more sin, what will those pastors have to preach about? What are we going to do? I'm wondering about that. A lot of things yet to anticipate and to experience when we get there. My greatest fear about the judgment is I always said I, I would be standing between t- Mother Teresa and Billy Graham when that takes place. Then I got to think, I said, well, maybe it's done alphabetically. I got W. Winburn, I'll be at the end of the line. And I thought, well, no, that won't be any good. I'll be next to Rick Warren and, and uh, Warren Wiersbe and all some of these other saints that their name starts with W. I don't know how God's going to do it. But I know that's what the Bible says. We're going to be judged. 
And based on that, we get our place of service. Now, here's what you got to understand. When the places of services are given out and the jobs of responsibility are given out, you're going to love it. Why? There's no jealousy, no bickering, no backbiting. You're not going to look and say, well, why'd you get a higher place than I did? I'd rather do that than what I got to do. Yeah, that won't happen in heaven. It's going to be perfect. I can't wait for that. I just, I really look forward to that when there's no bickering going on. I really do. Get an amen on that? Yeah. Yeah. People ask me, why don't you watch any of these uh, talk shows? I said, I hear enough opinions every week that I don't need to listen to people's opinions, okay? All right. And whatever job, whatever service place you are given, you're going to love it. And the other fact I say to you is, that's what you earned with what you did. And you, God gives you what you earned. Now, here's the third thing I want to say about, about this hope there. See, I want to give you the foundation of heaven because... This is what Peter says about our living hope. Our hope is a secure hope. That's the third observation. And Peter says this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Why? Because it's a safe place. What is the safest place on earth? You know, it's interesting how many people today are building safe rooms into their homes because of threats and all kinds of things like that. Some of you might remember way back in the, in the 50s, a fear of nuclear attack. You had fallout shelters that you had, to, you, know, you had to dig and put supplies in there and all that kind of stuff like that. I would say that the safest place on earth is Fort Knox, uh, where they keep the gold. $137 billion worth of gold protected in that vault by a 22-ton door. You ain't getting in there. I mean, there's security, there's armed forces, there's all of that. And then 10 people, 10 different people had different parts of the combination that will open that safe. They don't know what part they have, and, and to open it, they all got to be there and in the right sequence so it can be opened. But that's probably the place, safest place on earth today. But Peter tells us that the most precious possession that we can have is our living hope and that it is kept safe in heaven. That's the safest place in the entire world. It's the safest place. And he reminds us that it's a safe place because God is there as our powerful protector. I want you to notice in verse 4 how Peter describes this inheritance. He says it's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade and kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. Notice how he describes it. First of all, he says it never perishes. The inheritance never perishes. It's imperishable. And in the first chapter here of 1 Peter, Peter points out several things that are imperishable. He says, uh, your new birth is imperishable. The word of your redemption is imperishable. The mercy of God is imperishable. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is imperishable. And the inheritance that God puts your name on is imperishable. We live in a world where things perish. Perish all the time. You know, they get outdated, they're gone. They, you know, we wear them out, they get gone, they're, they're gone. You know, that's just the way it is. Second thing he says is it never spoils. Most every food item, I guess every food item we have, and maybe a lot of other things, 
come with an expiration date on it. Don't use it after that. You don't want to drink milk that's been expired and the expiration date's been up for about a week, do you? That'd be awful. Now, I, don't know, I don't know why, but for some reason, maybe it's spring cleaning time, I've gotten into this thing this past week and whatever spare moment I had, I started cleaning out and throwing away. I went through a clothes closet and I started going through the medicine cabinet and, and my drawers there at my at the sink and, and my part of the bathroom. It is amazing the stuff that I found. I found medicine there that had expired in 2005. Why in the world did I hold on to that stuff? It, it, the expiration date on it was long, that's oh, 10 years. You know, everything today basically will perish and spoil except our inheritance, this living hope, our inheritance. And he says it never fades away. It never fades away. I think the image he had in mind was of the Greek Olympic winner and the winner of the race or whatever contest would get that laurel wreath, you know, the wreath that was made out of evergreens, whatever. Eventually, over a period of time, the, the leaves would, would, would begin to, to fade away. You know, they, they would just dry up and wither away. They'd perish. They'd spoil. They would fade away. Now, the fourth thing you notice about this is it's kept by God. Why? Because that's the safest person to keep your living hope and your inheritance. It implies with the word that's used there that Jesus Christ has the effective power right now to preserve your inheritance now and forever. Now and forever. Now here's the fourth observation about this living hope. Our hope is given to us through God's great mercy and new birth. That's right straight out of what he says. Peter says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. A new birth. What does that mean? That means we have the opportunity to come clean with God. To deal with our sin. Get rid of our guilt. To deal with all those things in the past that we're ashamed of. And how does that happen to us? Well, he says it's through the great mercy of God that we come to a place where we have the opportunity to encounter Jesus Christ. We hear the gospel message. We're convicted of our sins. And then we hear the good news that God sent Jesus Christ to die for us on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. And we believe that. We accept that. We admit that we've sinned. And we believe that Jesus died in our place on the cross. And then we have to confess that Christ is our Savior. We have to make a commitment to Him. And you see, all of that is possible, Peter says, through the great mercy of God. See, God's mercy gave us the opportunity to come and experience salvation. You see how Paul, Peter is writing this? This is after he had denied Christ. After he had gone through those anguishing moments of wondering, is, is this real? Is he going to come back on the third day? And then finding out that the resurrection was true and then Jesus reinstating him, giving him his ministry position, giving him that living hope. Then Peter burst out in praise and said, he's given us a new birth through the living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He knew what it was to be born again, and that's what we experienced. And you see, after some 30, 40 years after that experience, he writes his epistle and calls this a living hope, that he had a fresh start, his sins were forgiven, and he was born anew. See, I would suggest to you today, implore you to make this decision. If you have never accepted God's mercy through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made, 
then admit your sin. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for you in your place for your sins. And then confess Christ as Savior. That's what you need to do with this living hope so you can claim your eternal inheritance. I don't know, I don't see many movies these days, but I remember many years ago that the, the Samuel Golden Mayer was one of the producers in, in Hollywood and always came on with that big lion at the end or whatever to talk about the, the movie. Well, he was once asked uh, in Hollywood uh, to describe his fantasy for a perfect motion picture. And he produced so many of them, but this is what he said. He said, the perfect motion picture will start with an earthquake and then build toward a climax. You get that? It would start with an earthquake, then build to the climax. That's powerful. Easter is not Hollywood produced. The resurrection of Jesus and that story and the historical fact of that is not Hollywood produced. In fact, I am absolutely amazed at the miracle that's taking place that AD, the series, is on NBC and that they're advertising it and they have it in Sunday night, prime time, 9 o'clock. That's a miracle in itself, I think. But more than that is the miracle of the resurrection. And when we come to experience Christ as our Savior, then our life starts with an earthquake and then it moves on to the climax. Because day by day, this living hope and this living Savior lead us from one stage of glory to the next until finally we're transposed into the image of Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And that day comes when we enter into eternity and we enter into heaven and we claim that eternal inheritance. And that's why we claim a living hope. So my hope for you today is this. If you're a believer and you've claimed this hope, remember every day Jesus is alive. You don't have to wait till Sunday or next Easter to celebrate that. He's alive. Affirm that. Live with that power. Because the same power that brought Jesus back from the dead is alive and well and working in your life. If you're not a believer, if you haven't claimed that living hope, then today come confess your sins and acknowledge that Christ will be the Savior of your life. Invite him to come into your life. Be, be, have that new birth through the mercy of God. Father, we thank you for the hope that you give to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our living Savior. Father, we thank you that in your great mercy, you did not come to condemn us, but you came to save us through Jesus Christ. And he willingly laid down his life that we could experience salvation and we would know of a living hope through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus who conquered death and the grave and sin so that we can have a new birth and have this living hope. And Father, my prayer today is that all of us here will we'll, we'll live in that new hope and that new birth and that relationship with Christ as we live in faith. And I pray that in the name of Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen.